0: Meghan McCain has never shied away from talking about exactly how she feels. And when it comes to motherhood, it's no different.
1: I think that sometimes in the media, there's a portrayal of motherhood, which is beautiful and amazing, but it's not always accurate for what the experience at least has been like for me. And my road is like much rockier, much more complicated, obviously like much more medically complicated.
0: After a long labor and an emergency C-section, Megan suffered from postpartum preeclampsia and had to stay in the hospital for a week after her daughter Liberty was born. On this episode, the conservative TV personality opens up about her grueling recovery, which included healing both physically and emotionally. She also shares how being a mom has made her feel more connected to her late father, Senator John McCain.
1: DNA and genes are strange because she does this thing with her hands and it just creeps me out when she does it because it's this tick my dad used to do with his hands.
0: Megan had her daughter during COVID at a time when there were a lot of unknowns to navigate. For a while there, it wasn't even clear if partners would be allowed in the birthing room. The notion of giving birth alone, it was a lot to handle. But now that baby Liberty is here, Megan says the experience of becoming a mom has reconnected her with the world, herself, And her family. This is Me Becoming Mom, where we talk to famous women you know and love all about their extraordinary journeys to motherhood. I'm Zoe Ruderman from People. So you had, just like me, a baby during the height or one of the heights of COVID. Um, So I imagine you spent a lot of your pregnancy sort of with unknowns about what your labor and delivery would look like, with appointments being very different from how they were for women who were pregnant a few years ago. So I'm curious in general what your experience was like as a a woman who had her pregnancy mostly throughout COVID. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. When when did you give birth to your child? June, beginning of June. So I think you're like three months after me.
1: I was September, yeah. Um, In the beginning, it was really scary and you were like, am I going to be able to give birth in a hospital because hospitals are overrun? Um, I remember um, wondering, like, am I going to have to go to a different state? Like, is – like, what's going to happen? Like, I don't really understand. And I was really scared because everyone was scared for all the justifiable reasons. Um, I'm sure you experienced this as well. Just going to the doctor was intense because you had to take, uh, you know, do the COVID screening to sign to make sure you hadn't been in contact with anyone COVID, et cetera, wear a mask. Um, My particular doctor at OBGYN, they wanted me to obviously get in and out as fast as possible because of the COVID restrictions. Um, My husband didn't come to any sonograms or anything like that because of all the restrictions. Um, And then it was just super isolating. I felt very, not lonely, that's not the right word, but just like my stomach was growing and no one was seeing it. Um, I, I didn't have a baby shower because I, I didn't want to do a Zoom shower. It felt depressing. Me too. I had been to enough Zoom showers
0: to know I did not want a Zoom shower.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's something – I'm so social and I just feel like it would have made me more sad. Um And then – you know, all the normal things everybody went through. Then giving birth, um, you know, my family couldn't come visit in the hospital. Luckily, at the point that I gave birth, my husband could be in the room, which thank God. I was going to ask about that because
0: there were a few weeks where in some states they were saying partners can't be there. Did you have a moment where you thought, oh, my God, he might not be able to be there for the birth of our child?
1: Yeah. And then I felt bad for myself. And then I was like, you know, there are people who have to give birth in war zones and, you know, my ancestors have been through much worse and if I have to do it, I have to do it. Um, that being said, the women who gave birth alone, I think it's awful and I feel very bad for them. Um So it was all the things. It was, you know, it was wonderful and terrible at the same time. Yeah. And I
0: had, um, you know, our stories overlap a little bit. I also suffered from pregnancy loss. And so I had this feeling of after all of that, I can't just have this wonderful, quote unquote, normal pregnancy um, and had those moments of feeling sorry for myself as well. But you make a good point. People have gone through much worse to have healthy babies.
1: I was just honestly, I was so scared that COVID was going to impact childbirth in some way or like my unborn baby in the womb. And thank God that doesn't seem to happen and didn't happen. Um, but yeah, it's unique. I mean, I'm thinking about how I'm even going to tell her when she's older, be like, well, there was a pandemic and uh, we were alone and you know. In some ways, it felt kind of special. I felt like I
0: was in this bubble of three with my husband and our son. And there was, you know, you try to find the silver lining. So there's, it's all I know. I have nothing to compare it to. So it's, yeah, it, it'll be a story to tell for sure. So let's go back to when you found out you were pregnant with Liberty. Tell me about how you found out, how you shared it with your husband.
1: Well, I was feeling a little sick and I took a test um, in the morning when I was in New York, he was actually in DC at the time. And I remember FaceTiming him and like trying to show the little line on the test. And he was like, what? And I was like, it says positive. Like, and I was excited. Um, and also I think as anyone who's had a miscarriage, um, knows it's, for me, it's just, it was like a really horrific experience. And it was very, um, graphic and physically painful and emotionally painful. And I felt like my body betrayed me. And when I found out I was pregnant, I was like, I hope this works, but I know there's a likelihood it won't. And so I was like hopeful, but also sad at the same time. And then for a really long time, I kept asking my doctor, like, am I going to miscarry? Am I going to miscarry? Are there signs that I'm going to miscarry? Because I need to prepare myself. And it was sort of like, I was excited, but I was also very nervous and scared too.
0: I remember an OBGYN, I spoke to you talking about how once you've had a pregnancy loss or multiple pregnancy losses, you lose that happy bubble of bliss when it comes with pregnancy. And I remember feeling like, oh, I'm never going to have just a perfectly happy, ignorant scan or appointment or waiting for the blood work to come back. Something is sort of taken from you after a loss.
1: Yeah. And it still feels like I hope I would like to have more children if I can. I'm 37. I think about my age. I think about, um, you know, being sort of like the cliche of working to – like working too much and too long and not putting my fertility or having a family in the forefront. But I also know that like life happens for me as it should. And, um, you know, there are a lot of other elements and factors at play of why my husband and I didn't start trying until I was a little older. Um, I think having a child is scary. I think it's wonderful, too, obviously. But for me, there's a lot of fear that goes into it. Since we're talking about your pregnancy before Liberty, um, you
0: wrote an incredible piece, an op-ed piece in The Times. And I want to talk about some of your feelings that you experienced. But let's start with finding out you were pregnant with that pregnancy before Liberty.
1: I was happy and excited but worried because – you know, when you're not ready to tell people you're pregnant, I was like, I work on this TV show and I sit in the like end chair and people, you know, if I like eat a sandwich, people think I'm pregnant. So like, I can't even imagine. And I was just, I had a really hard time coming to motherhood. Like I knew I wanted to have kids, but I was like really scared too. And I felt like um, after going through so much grief with my dad dying that I really didn't know if I was like going to be able to love anything the way that I loved him. And I didn't know what kind of mother I was going to be. And I think that sometimes in the media, there's a portrayal of motherhood, which is beautiful and amazing, but it's not always accurate for what the experience at least has been like for me. And my road is like much rockier, much more complicated, obviously like much more medically complicated. Um, And I was – I got – excited and I was coming to terms with it and I was like just coming to terms with it and getting excited. And I was very – I had morning sickness and I wasn't feeling well. And then um, the symptoms started to fade a little bit, which was like my first tip off. Like I remember waking up in the morning um, a day or two before I found out I was having a miscarriage and feeling better, like feeling like not as nauseous and feeling like I had more energy and not even – I didn't know enough to know that was a bad sign.
0: Yeah. And so when was it confirmed that you were miscarrying?
1: I had blood work done at my doctor. Um, I actually found out the day after I had a disastrous appearance on Seth Meyers. And um, I didn't understand it. I didn't even really understand what, like, HCG levels are or were. Um, And she told me that it should be doubling and it's not. And that they aren't like as high as they need to be at this point in time. And I just was so confused. Like I I think of having a miscarriage. is like you just start like – I thought of it as like you start like bleeding profusely in the middle of a room or something. And mine was very different. And then um, having to, you know, go through like a thing so publicly that was like a disaster in my career and then like this disaster in my body. Um, it was one of the darkest times in my life. I felt like it was like – it was – it was just, it's hard to even explain. It's like every sense in my body was overwhelmed. And then I was heartbroken. And, um, I had friends, uh, my hair and makeup person who was at my apartment who knew that I was, uh, pregnant. And I went to the doctor and they were in my apartment and they had hid the baby books that I had bought. Like they hid them out of the way because they knew that I was like having a miscarriage because I told them. And, um, you know, it was just so sad. I just felt – it's still like, you know, it's still emotional. It's like I still think of it as like the baby I could have had. Um, You know, it's very sad. The only thing that gives me like peace and solace, I don't know how spiritual you are or how you feel. Like I feel like that child is with my dad in the afterlife or in heaven. And for whatever reason, it just like wasn't meant to be here at that time. But it's very hard.
0: I remember reading something. I think it was that you wrote about how you picture when at some point when you go to heaven, your dad will be holding – the baby's hand waiting for you.
1: I really hope so. That's how I feel. But it's, you know, if you ex- you said you experienced pregnancy loss, like I found it debilitating. I found it mentally, emotionally, physically debilitating. I found the process of having to, of having a miscarriage, like a physical process of it um, grueling and then having to have a DNC afterward horrific.
0: Yep. I felt the same way. Yeah. And again, it sounds like we both had missed miscarriages. So it's not that scene that you imagine where it's like you're bleeding and you know, it's sort of, I remember sitting at my computer at work, like doing, taking out a calculator and doing like the HCG numbers and like, wait, is it doubling over 72 hours? And like you said, you become an expert in these things that you didn't even know about a few weeks before. Um, so you did have to have a DNC and
1: I had the option to let it, you know, to take medication, I think, and let it like come out naturally and then, or to like have a DNC. And um, I actually haven't talked about this because I actually started miscarrying physically in a restaurant. Oh, God. It's horrific. And I wasn't planning on talking about this, but I talk about everything else. Um, and uh, it's brutal.
0: It is. Well, I've had multiple DNCs as well from multiple miscarriages. And what I'm told, um, especially in interviewing experts for this podcast, is that the way they do DNCs is, is so non-invasive now that it really doesn't impact your chances of carrying a baby in the future. So that is my hope for both of us. I've been
1: told that. I've been told that as well. I think um, anyone that's been through it, a, a, I was not put under the, I didn't take medication. I wasn't put under because I have a severe paranoia of anesthesia. I hate it. Um, it's almost hard to describe. It's so. I felt like a, like not only was like a physical part of me leaving, but like the hope of something amazing was leaving me. And then you feel, at least I felt like my body had betrayed me and rejected me and that I'm not complete as a woman because this happens to me. Well, I look at it differently
0: that there's so many women who go through this and it was a mystery to me. And you know, when I told people, oh, I had a miscarriage, I had a DNC, I had multiple losses. And then you hear from other women that they've gone through it too. You feel less alone and it it takes away some of the shame and the guilt, at least for me. So I think it's helpful to hear about it.
1: I don't know why. I remember um, feeling like the only woman who this had happened to. There's such stigma and such darkness attached to it and there still is – like even talking to you, like I'm a pretty open book about almost everything and um, there's still something about it. I still feel like – like I have a friend who has had five children and it's just like she gets pregnant like this and has babies like this and that's amazing for her and she's my age. So – and I I feel like, you know, well, what's wrong with my body? Like what's wrong with – What's wrong with me? And again, like there's a part of me that feels like maybe I was arrogant about my age. Maybe I was arrogant about my career. Um, my husband and I have already had the discussion that we're going to adopt if physically I, I somehow – I'm not able. I, I am hopeful that I will be. Um, but if not, um, I think there's a lot of different ways to have families and a lot of different ways to have children. And my little sister is adopted and his little sister is adopted. So it's something we'll be doing either way in the future and – But that doesn't make miscarrying easier. For me, it hasn't, at least.
0: Of course. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, we touched on this a little bit, but you wrote in the Times piece, um, you know, I blamed my age. I blamed my personality. I blamed everything and anything a person could think of. um, And it was a deep opening of shame. I'm curious now with more distance, do you feel the same way? Have you been able to process what happened to you in a different way? Or do you continue to feel those things?
1: I don't feel the same way. It It was just like, it was like, you're pregnant, bam. You're going on the show, bam. You're having a miscarriage, bam. You have to have a DNC, bam. Like it was like all these things. And it was so, it was just like trying to make decisions in this like really chaotic space. And then now I, of course, I still feel like shame a little bit, but I also feel like it's okay. Life happens and I'm just got to keep moving forward and keep, you know, pressing on.
0: Yeah. And so when did you feel ready to try again? For me, it was almost like I had a taste of it. We weren't really trying actively and it was like, oh no, now I really want this. I'm curious if it was the same for you, if you felt kind of like, no, I need a minute to process this.
1: I needed time. I was scared and I was sad and I was freaked out. And um, I think the like sort of false hope, I was like angry. I was like, I can't do this again. Like I can't have this like excitement and feeling that I'm going to have a baby and all these things. And then feel this like huge loss and then just like the physical aspect of it. Like I don't think I had no idea that it it takes a long time and you bleed a lot for a long time. Like, you know, I, I was like it's like I was in a slasher movie. It was like so much. And again, I think that's all women that have had this happen. So I wasn't ready for a while.
0: Right. And I believe it was in the Times story you wrote about how you had to do this shoot for The View for the cover of New York Times Magazine in the days following, and you're going through this thing physically, and you literally have to put your body forward as you're going through that. Can you kind of take me behind the scenes of that and how you kept a strong face and maintained your composure?
1: It was awful. I was with um, two of my friends were there, and obviously The View hosts were there and some of the crew. And um my really good friend and co-host Abby was super pregnant with her twins on the cover and, you know, in beautiful and amazing. She looks stunning. She is. Um, but I felt like, you know, she's this beautiful encapsulation of, like, pregnancy and motherhood and I was, like, the opposite. Um, I hate that photo. I actually have a hard time looking at it and it's, like, become sort of like a – I wouldn't say like a well-known photo, but, like, it's a photo that people have seen of, of that period of time in the view. Um, and I feel like, you know, people are very curious about me leaving the show and all these things. And part of it is like, I had to do so much that is very personal and private. So publicly and not just miscarriage, but like grief and then, um, you know, postpartum stuff after pregnancy and then miscarriage. And I feel like I'm at a point where it's too hard for me at my age and all I've been in media since I was, um, 20, if you count internships. I can't keep being, having myself in these situations where if I'm having a miscarriage, God forbid, that I have to do it in front of the New York Times photographers, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I, I can't imagine having to go through that at the same time. So let's go back to your pregnancy with Liberty. So you talk about, um, you know, you're on The View, you're a very public person, you're sitting at the end of the table, you joked that like you have a sandwich and everyone asks if you're pregnant. So did you have a plan for when you would reveal to the public? Um, how did you How did you make that decision?
1: You know, there's this fear, I think, for any woman who's had a miscarriage. Like, there's a fear that it's always the next – I was so worried the next sonogram was going to be the one they were going to tell me that something was wrong. So, you know, it was beautiful to be pregnant and amazing, but it was very scary too. I mean, I'm still scared. I'm scared every appointment she has that something could be wrong with her. But it's beautiful and amazing and paradigm shifting and – I would have had like a 100 miscarriages to have her. Like she's the most, it's the most spectacular, liberating, like it has reconnected me with the world and myself and my family and my my own mother and my father and my siblings. And I love it. I love being a mom. It's my favorite thing. In the, It's my favorite thing in the entire world. I do too.
0: I didn't expect to love it this much. I knew I wanted it and I knew I would love it, but I didn't expect it to be quite like this.
1: What was
0: your relationship with your body like as you got more and more pregnant and closer to delivering?
1: I, like, loved it. Like, I didn't think I was – I mean, toward the end, you know, you can't, like, breathe or walk, and I didn't love it then. But I really loved feeling her. She kicked me a ton. Like, I have videos on my phone of, like, my stomach just, like, going back and forth, really. Like, she's, like, rocking it, and she kicked me forever. And um, I don't know. I just – I loved that, like, I could grow something. I – I felt like my husband was, like, attracted to me in a different way, which was, like, a whole fun, interesting thing. Like, he was really into me being pregnant. And I can remember going to the beach the summer before she was born and, like, just feeling like – I'm not a, like – I don't, like, wear bikinis or anything like that because I just, like – I'm not, like – just, like, not my style. Um, But I can remember just, like, wearing this bathing suit and just being, like, yeah, I'm knocked up. I'm so big. I'm, like, whatever. And it just makes – it made me feel so happy with my body. And then, like – post-baby body, which is not even like a term that I like love. I don't look the same. My boobs sag now and like my stomach looks way different and like sags and I don't care about it like I would have had I not had her because I know like this is what it took to get her and I would like do anything to have her and it was so worth it. So I actually don't have as many body issues now, which is so crazy because I'm fatter and they look different. It's so
0: interesting you say that. Almost Everyone I've spoken to for this podcast, I was speaking to Sean Johnson, the Olympic athlete who, you know, was talking about how her relationship with her body changed and she felt the same way. She was like, it like took away all of my body confidence issues and her disordered eating issues. It's it's really fascinating that that's a common thread. Um, So tell me, um, when did you start coming up with your birth preferences and your birth plan? Did you- um, I didn't have one. (laughs)
1: Okay. (laughs) I was like, I'm just going to go in
0: and like, you know, what? Whenever. Um, but so you were imagining a vaginal birth, not C-section. Yes,
1: I was. I did. I'm sorry. Yes, I did want a vaginal birth. I had expected like the normal like in the movies, like your water to break, you go in, um, probably get an epidural and then give birth vaginally. Um, I went in and she uh, – I labored for almost 30 hours and she was not moving. Like she was like her – it wouldn't – I, my cervix wouldn't go past – eight or nine centimeters I don't remember because I was in labor and like insane and I got an epidural at some point and I was just like trying and trying and we were like waiting and nothing was happening and then at a certain point they have that like monitor around your stomach and her heartbeat started slowing down and they were worried about her heartbeat and my doctor who I like am obsessed with was like um you know, this has been a really long time. It's, you know, this could this could be a problem for her. So we should just go in and have a C-section. And by that time I was like, if you have to lobotomize me to make this stop, like you can do whatever you want. Let's just get this over with. And then, um, yeah, I, I had an emergency C-section.
0: So what was that like? What did you feel, um, especially as someone, it's not like they put you under anesthesia, but as someone who has fears about that, what was it like knowing that you were unexpectedly going to have major abdominal surgery?
1: I was just like, we just have to do what we have to do like i just have to like get this done and i played music in the room i played the beach boys um which kind of relaxed me i didn't i didn't know that you shake a lot when you're giving birth like no one told me that like i was shaking like crazy same with me and nobody told me that either all of these things we got, why don't they tell you that and you're freezing like I didn't understand any – like no – again, no one told me that. I couldn't hold my phone. Like I was trying to press the music and I couldn't hold it my husband had to take it. And then I was holding on to his hand. I was shaking so bad when it was happening. Um, and so like stuff like that you didn't think about. And um I just listened to music and I talked to my husband – I just remember he had like scrubs on and he looked so ridiculous in the scrubs because he had like a hairnet and like everything. And he he actually is going to kill me that I share this. He actually threw up because he was so nervous. And he, (laughs) no he claimed, he was like, I think it was the chicken wings I ate earlier. The chicken wings. I don't know about that. What did the doctors do when he threw up? They just like were kind to him and like whatever, and gave him, like, a bowl or a bucket, whatever, and, like...
0: I guess that's better than passing out, which is the thing that, in the movies, the husband always passes out in the room.
1: I was, like, I'm the one that's doing all our work. Like, I'm the one that's doing everything. Um, And then, you know, when, when they're born, like, and they bring the baby to you, and, like, they show you, I was, like, there you are. Oh, my God. Like, that's my baby. Like, she was just so beautiful. And, like, I know this sounds crazy. It's probably stuff that, like, only you think about your child but like she had so much personality from like get out the gate and like I was so I was just like I'm so screwed I'm so in love this is the this is like the greatest euphoria that life possibly has to offer
0: I think you wrote somewhere that it was like you're like I've never taken ecstasy but this is like taking ecstasy
1: I've never I've never done hard drugs ever in my entire life but I'm the way it impacted me especially like the days after, like the week after when I was like in the hospital with her, I mean, other than like I was going through a physically hard time, but when I was with her, it was like, I was like, I've never loved or experienced a love for this in any form. And I remember like right after this is so ridiculous, but like the presidential debate was going on, um, like the day after, or two days after she was born, then I had wanted to watch it and my husband turned it on and I was like, turn this off. This is horrific vibe for all of us. Like this is turn us off, like, whatever. And I so wanted to stay in this, like, love bubble in my hospital room. And it must be something chemical. It must be something, like, primal. But I was like, this, she is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And I would die for her and kill for her. And, like, I still love it so much. I am in New York right now. And I left uh, my house in the Beltway. And um, I cried. I was so sad to leave. it. I'm only gone. Like, Mm four days, but it's the most I've been gone. And I hate it. I hate leaving her. I hate being away. I love being a mom. And if you had told me this three years ago, I would have thought you were crazy.
0: Yeah, yeah. You mentioned at the beginning of this conversation that you didn't think you could love someone as much as you loved your dad or in that same intense way. So it sounds like Liberty was born and you did have all of those feelings. Somewhere you also wrote that you kind of you see some of your dad in her. Tell me a little bit about that.
1: So this is very strange and I'm sure you feel this way about your – you said you have a son, correct? Like DNA and genes are strange because um she does this thing with her hands and he used to do that all the time. I don't do it. I don't know where it comes from but she does it even now and I'm like – and I told um, my mother-in-law, I was like, it just creeps me out when she does it because that's it's this tick my dad used to do with his hands. Um So it's stuff like that but I love her – like I loved my dad and I, I love my mother in a way that's like, you know, the way – you know, I think a lot of people love their parents where it's like, you know, they're the people that raised you. And like with my, you know, dad in particular, it's like, you know, he was just so much for so much of my life in so many different ways. But with my daughter, it's just pure. Like she's perfection. And with my parents, I can see their flaws. And with her, like nothing's imperfect, not even her like disgusting diapers. Like I still think it's adorable. Um I love all the things I thought I would hate. Like, I don't know if you feel that way. Like, I love getting up early with her. I love, like, quiet time. I love, um, like, I love just, like, life in a way that I – thought was sort of saccharine before I had her.
0: I know what you mean. And for me, it's changed my relationship with my parents, not so much in how we interact or, you know, I loved them before, I still love them, but thinking about them as parents and now that I'm a parent, it's really different. So when you think back to your childhood and how your parents raised you, do you, are you looking at it kind of through a different lens now or with more appreciation?
1: Yeah. And I like apologized to my mom for being such a punk when I was like 13. I was like, this is so hard. Like I, you know, I was so, I had I was so like, not wild, but I just had like a lot of spirit like I do now when I was growing up.
0: That's amazing. Um, tell me about your mom as a grandma to Liberty.
1: She's amazing. She's like the best grandmother ever. It's like this, you know, it's wonderful to see her as a grandma. She's really, she knows all the tricks. Like she knows all the like good baby tricks and it's wonderful to learn from her. It's been a really like nice full circle moment to be with her.
0: I love that. That's really wonderful. Um, so you had postpartum preeclampsia and I had preeclampsia at the end of my pregnancy. And three friends I know who delivered during the pandemic also had postpartum preeclampsia. So I think it's, I just believe there's something related to stress and what we were all going through. Really? How many friends? Three? Three? three friends, and then me. So four people. You're the fifth person I know who gave birth during this. But anyway, so I'm curious, you you deliver, you're recovering from a C-section, they're monitoring your blood pressure. And is that how you were diagnosed with the preeclampsia?
1: There was like protein or something in my urine. And then um that was the tip off and then my my blood pressure being so high and i actually have low bro- blood pressure normally like right now i do um that's actually something i have to deal with more and then um yeah they kept me i stayed i was there 2 days like you normally are after a c section and then right when i was i was I had literally like packed my suitcase to leave and they told me and i was like i don't even know what that is like i don't Like, what is that? Um, And then I found out from my mom, because I called her, that it's actually quite serious. And then I, too, had – I had – actually had more than one magnesium drip. And they're awful. It makes you feel like a zombie.
0: Yeah. It made me feel really terrible. And I also feel like I was not prepared for that, just a common theme here. So you never checked out of the hospital. Did your husband and did Liberty stay with you for that week that you remained?
1: Liberty did. And then my husband had to go home to get more clothes at one point. And then there was another point where he couldn't sleep because he's six foot four and he couldn't sleep on the like the bench that they had. And it's off. It's horrible. Those couches should be redone. And, um, he actually went to the car to try and sleep, like our car in the parking lot. And I woke up and he wasn't there and I lost my mind. And the nurses said he left. And I was like, what the? F- like, what are we talking about? Like, I was so scared. And again, not like you're on medication. You're not like rational. Right. You're like, he left us? (laughs) Yeah. I was like, I don't understand. I was like, no, he loves me. Like, what's happening? And I called my sister-in-law and she was super confused. And I was like, you need to like come here, even though you couldn't have guests at the hospital. And basically like she ended up being able to get a hold of him and he was just sleeping in the car and he came back and profusely apologize and all these things. He was like, I'm just so tired. I'm trying to sleep and whatever. And then- Oh my
0: God, Megan, how awful to go
1: through that. Yeah, it was awful. It was my pregnancy. Like some people are like, I give birth and like, it was just like rainbows and I was at home and whatever. And I was like, I was on medication and I was like, Yeah, you're like, let me list all of the things for you. Well, you have a good story. But uh, the one thing I want to say, though, is like I – when you're talking about like preeclampsia, like I started, you know, hearing about how like women of color are like having issues that doctors like won't listen to them, hearing stories from women like Serena Williams and that she had to literally tell her doctor that she knows she had blood clots because she wasn't heard and, again, always trying to see like the blessings in my life I think that the real, you know, scandal and tragedy is that like women of color in particular have such a more difficult and arduous and, you know, un- I mean, awful horrific road giving birth. But America for being the greatest country in the world, which I still think it is, for having such a shitty health system and postnatal sort of, you know, environment and then everything that I've talked about in the past and other places about – you know, family leave and paid family leave. I think we're doing it all wrong. It's my biggest criticism of American life is how we treat mothers before, during, and after birth. I
0: want to talk about this because I know you've been very outspoken about it. And you had planned to go back to The View after six weeks. And then because of everything that had happened, you weren't able to return. Was it for three months?
1: Yeah, I took um, a little more than three months. I think it was like three months and a week or something. Um and yeah, I really wanted to go back after six weeks. I was like, I'm going to be a soldier. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go back because I've heard so many stories and I know women who have gone back to work that early and I like literally wasn't physically capable of doing it. Literally. Like I I would not have been physically capable of co-hosting that show. And again, if this is me, Megan McCain with every advantage and every, you know, amazing healthcare and all these things and, you know – Working in an all-women show, I just can't fathom what it – I mean, I can fathom, but it's horrific. It's like a horror show, what happens to other women.
0: So tell me what you think needs to change.
1: Well, I think that it needs – I think paid family leave – From the government should be something that is a given. And I think four months, not three, because again, there are situations like mine and worse, where women just aren't physically capable of going back to work. I also think that all corporations in corporate America have to live and abide by the same mandate. And there's some corporations that are amazing at it. And there's some corporations that find loopholes um, to not pay women when they're gone. I know, particularly with friends of mine who are freelance writers and freelance producers, they have gotten paid nothing and had to like – I mean, and again, like you're talking four months. That's a big chunk of your paycheck. It's, it's a lot of money to lose. And I think that it's disgusting. I actually think it's something um, – you know, traditionally conservatives have um, not supported this policy. But I think that it actually is one of the most conservative things – you can do and you can believe in because it's super pro family. And it's it's about supporting families and it's about supporting mothers, which as a conservative, that should be one of the, you know, in theory, the mandates that you believe in. And I also think the amount of money that we're spending on things that are just for, in my opinion, you know, not nearly as necessary. I think that one of the reasons that the like, and again, this is just my opinion and my perspective, and you can take it for whatever you want. But my personal perspective on the world is part of the What's happening in society is that we are not giving families time to be families when children are born. And I think there's a lot of things that ricochet from that. And I know that, like, I didn't feel punished for having a baby because that's not the right way to do it. But I did feel like it made me weaker in a lot of ways. And I just think that paid family leave has to be mandated across the board for corporations and the government if you're working for the government, period, like, full stop.
0: Yep, I agree. What would you tell your pre-pregnancy self um, if you were sort of looking ahead at this full journey? What, would you, what advice would you give yourself knowing everything you know now?
1: It's going to be okay. Read through it. Ask for as much help as possible from your friends who have had babies. Um, it's okay. There's no shame in anything you've gone through. And it's going to be the best thing you've ever done in your entire life. And you're going to love it more than you can imagine.
0: Meghan McCain's Audible original is out now. It's called Bad Republican. Motherhood is just one of those things you never understand fully until you experience it for yourself. That last little piece of advice from Meghan about what she would tell her pre-pregnancy self, it really made me wanna know how other newish moms would answer the same question. So I asked. Here are some of our listeners talking about the advice they'd give knowing everything they know now. Trust yourself. Embrace your primal
1: instincts. I wish that I could have told myself that things during childbirth will never go as planned.
0: Don't succumb to the judgment associated with motherhood, like all these mothers. Just just love your kid. That's all you got to do. Keep them alive and love them.
1: All right, my advice is to find another new mom to talk to. Go on long walks Talk about this bizarro time of your life. It helps so much to have somebody else going through this experience at the same time.
0: Before I had my first child, I thought after she was born, I would have all this time to do hobbies and pursue my own interests. And I had no idea that taking care of my daughter would take up all of my time. So my sewing and gardening aspirations were really unrealistic, but also I was being too hard on myself by expecting myself to be able to do all these things with my time off. As soon as I gave birth, my entire being shifted and was focused on keeping this new fragile life alive. I watched her with such awe and trepidation at every moment of the day. And so often I felt connected in ways that I know
1: today will never be replicated. And for that, I'm forever grateful.
0: In the early days as a new mom, I wanted to do everything myself, but trust me now as someone older and wiser, um, if someone offers to help you, you should take them up on it. Um, The saying, it takes a village, is a cliche,
1: it turns out, for a very good reason.
0: And here's mine. Give yourself a lot of grace. It is hard in those first few days and weeks and months and 18 months, which is where I'm at now, forgive yourself. Know that you are doing the best you can in the moment. That's it for this episode of me becoming mom. Next week, we have another incredible story. And I have to say it might be one of my very favorite interviews I've done yet. Brooklyn Decker is on a mission to normalize all of the common bodily experience involved in being pregnant, giving birth and recovering
1: you know, what happens if you have an episiotomy? What happens if you tear? What happens if your milk isn't coming in? What happens if your nipples are bleeding? All of these like horribly painful, challenging problems that are so normal. If
0: you happen to be on your own journey to motherhood, this is an episode you do not want to miss. Brooklyn is like that girlfriend you never had who tells you everything you ever wanted to know about having a baby. If you like our podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. It really helps people find the show. And we'd also love if you told a friend about us. This podcast is produced by People in partnership with Pod People. Special thanks to our production team, Andy Cubist, Jason Mack, Brian Rivers, Aliza Sessler, and Suzanne Semeloff. Our executive producers are Lauren Mickler, David Flumenbaum, and me, Zoe Ruderman. Thank you so much for listening.